it's a discernment to know like where have I done something genuinely good and where did I just think I have and then it's the willingness to I call it dance with discomfort welcome to real you real money the podcast that will inspire you to love all of who you are and love making big money all at the same time. I'm Ray Dodd, your host and resident money coach. And week in, week out, I'm here to remind you that your feelings and experiences of money have nothing to do with who you are and everything to do with who you've been told you have to be. This podcast is all about powerful conversations that will support you in building a business that reflects who you actually are. This is not a one-size-fits-all style podcast. This is a podcast that celebrates the individual you are and more than that, believes your uniqueness is the key to you making the sort of money you truly want to. Thank you for being here. Let's do this thing. Welcome to another episode of Real You, Real Money. My guest today calls herself a coach for established artists, and I will get her to talk more about that in just a second. It's Ali Mapletoft. We've just been talking about my struggles to say her name, and I just did it. Very proud of myself. So welcome to the podcast, Ali. I reached out to Ali onto the back of a reel that she posted, and we're going to get into that in a minute. But before we do, I am always fascinated by how people got to be doing what they do. And so I'd love for you to tell us how you got to be in the position you are doing what you do. Thank you, Ray. I'm super excited to be here. I have always been an artist all my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the very privileged position of having been raised by two mm. artists. My mum and dad are artists. It didn't seem like a huge leap for me to become one. I was raised by a potter and a painter. Mm-hmm. And I studied animation and became a filmmaker. When I had kids, I decided that I wanted to get into fashion. So I ran a fashion label for mm-hmm. years. And I'm now back to filmmaking and coaching mm-hmm. established artists yes. to be their most self-expressed selves. Mm-hmm. And I love it. <laughs> it's really, really just something that lights me up every day because my my vision really for the world is that if more of us were able to be fully self-expressed and really brave in what we were saying mm. and express our creativity from a deep place of truth I think the world would just be a better place and we would be happier less repressed yeah. less emotionally kind of zipped in people yeah yeah Totally agree. We talk about that a lot in my work too. One of the things I talk about is this idea that everyone has a space that's theirs. Mm -hmm. And I think at the moment, one of the reasons the world feels so shonky is because loads of people are not in their spaces and loads of people are in other people's spaces where actually they have no business being. They should be stuck. And it's not that they don't have space to be in. They do. It's just not the one that they're in. And I totally agree. I think a lot of the things, I think we think we've got to solve everything by being activists and by changing all these things. And I think actually a lot of it is like as you so put it in such a lovely way that being fully expressed being yourself Mm. doing doing your thing whatever that is I wasn't going to ask you this next but I'm really curious why do you think in what ways do artists struggle because I think probably as people people listening that maybe aren't artists might feel like but art is an expression like what in what ways do artists particularly come up against this like being fully self-expressed what do they struggle with with that Mm. 
Okay, well, I think it's probably no different to to other people in the mm. sense that it's very easy to get caught up in seeking approval. Yeah, super easy. Mm. And as an artist, if you are praised for something again and again, it, it's so easy to get into that default of like, okay, well, that's what people want to see. That's what I ought to be serving up. Yes. And I think the environment that we find ourselves in now is an environment where we sort of know, I think, because of things like social media and the algorithm and because we're actually able to almost think algorithmically ourselves mm. and perceive and, and observe what gets praise and what doesn't, mm. we're actually able to kind of code ourselves to be inoffensive and popular. Mm. And yeah. when we code ourselves to be inoffensive and popular, we lose part of that innate kind of magic of self-expression. Totally agree. And again, another question, but I'm glad we've gone here straight away because I was really excited. I was looking through your Instagram before and I was like, oh, I can totally ask Ali about these sorts of things. You mentioned on your Instagram profile, trying to remember if I quickly look up the three phrases you've got, three words that you've got. You've got irrepressible, uncensored, unstoppable. And I wanted to ask you, how does running a business in an uncensored way, how does that look for you? Like mm. what, what does that, how does that manifest itself in your business? I love that question. And, you know, I think the very first thing that we need to understand if we want to be uncensored is the difference between when we're censoring ourselves mm -hmm. and when we're applying a perfectly reasonable filter. Yeah. And this is something that I've been so lucky to learn from my coaches. And I'm going to cite in particular Africa Brooke. As I one knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, who has really supported me. Mm. With this. And I'm, I'm, I feel very lucky to be able to support other people with this. You know, essentially, there is a, a difference between unbridled self-expression where we just go Bleh, and let everything mm -hmm. out. <laughs> yeah. And being an uncensored, sovereign human being. Yeah who is being discerning mm. and for me having that uncensored voice mm. is about discernment as well so it's about mm. really understanding according to my values mm. according to what I believe to be true according to my own self-awareness mm. and curiosity mm. what needs to be said and if I am self-censoring, I know this for myself, that my body will tell me before my mind tells me. Mm. I know the difference now between self-censoring and simply holding something back because it's not the battle I want to fight today. Yes. And the yes. body tells us. So yes. we literally can sometimes feel our throat just close up and go, oh. Yeah when we are scared to say something yeah. when we're self-censoring it's because we're scared of conflict disapproval and ultimately being excluded and outcast mm -hmm. yeah and people do that don't they in big ways like not sharing their true thoughts and opinions and all of that stuff and values on on in their marketing and in their business but I think they do it in smaller ways in terms of how and I guess maybe it's not smaller but in a very different way with pricing and with oh, yeah. things like that, where it's this feeling of, and it, and actually they can have very similar physical feelings, right? That closing in, 
feeling of, I can't share this part of me. Absolutely. So, you know, for the longest time, Ray, I was so scared to even admit that as a woman, as an artist, as a creative, it is my desire to be prosperous. Mm -hmm. Mm. I desire that. Mm -hmm. And so it took a year of actually rebranding myself as the prosperous creatrix, Mm. which was my brand for a couple of years to, and it was my brand in my head for a year before it was my brand on paper. Mm. (laughs) Right. Because it was so scary to actually yeah. admit that I am an artist, I am a woman, I'm mm. also a coach. Yeah. And it feels dangerous to say, I desire to be a prosperous woman. Mm-hmm. I desire to be a prosperous artist. Yeah. I desire to be a prosperous coach. Yeah. If I send a newsletter, even now with the audience that I have, that has the words, rich artist in it that's when I get the most unsubscribes because it triggers the hell out of people why is it why is that what is the big deal with being a rich artist there's a whole mythology of the the struggling artist archetype Mm -hmm. that I think we're really married to Mm -hmm. whether we are conscious of it or not and it is it is something that people unconsciously kind of proliferate in the world. Mm. Teachers do it when they say, yes, of course you can be an artist, as long as you're fine with not making any money. Yeah. Art tutors in art college do it by saying, you know, yeah, this work is great. The reason I love it is it's non-commercial. Yes. Parents do it by saying to their children yeah that's nice you you can be a guitarist as a hobby but mm-hmm. you need to go and get a proper job in business yeah. or finance or medicine or you know whatever the thing is and I understand that there are many many reasons that parents teachers guides tutors might do that some yeah. of them are cultural some of them are to do with lack of privilege some mm-hmm. of them are to do with lack of intergenerational wealth yeah. there's so many nuanced Mm. reasons why this happens it's not just because parents or teachers are bad Mm. at all no but we do have a very ingrained idea Mm. of the struggling artist and part of that is just an 18th century romanticization Mm. of that archetype yeah because rich people of the time liked to be a patron Mm -hmm. to an artist And they loved that narrative of like, this is my artist, almost like a pet in their menagerie. (laughs) So we love that idea. You know, that's that's Mm. where we get like theatre, like La Boheme, about these struggling artist archetypes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because I have quite a few clients who are artists. And one of the things I notice as well, and I totally agree, I think art school really can add like I get artists who I work with who are like oh I didn't go to art school I'm not a proper artist I'm like from the artists I'm talking to who've been to art school the shit they are having to wade through that was given to them I'm not sure that that's a problem (laughs) that you didn't go I think it gives a lot as much as it takes and or it takes as much as it gives in lots of ways but I also notice a real 
kind of holding on to the way things are meant to be. So you're meant to get into galleries, but you're not meant to approach a gallery. You're meant to know the mystical art of how that happens and like not wanting to put prices on websites saying DM me for the price. All these things that I believe, and obviously I'm a money coach, I'm not an artist, although I am also the daughter of a painter, but I think they really create barriers because there's a lack of, and that's not to say everyone needs to put their prices up, but there's a lack of like freedom and imagination and ironically for artists ability to experiment in that space as much as the person might be far more comfortable experimenting within their creativity Mm, I totally hear you this thing of the artist being a rarefied creature and this thing of the artist being separate from Mm. commerce isn't something that you you see until quite recently in history Mm. so artists for thousands of years have been people who have been highly respected either as like master craftspeople who clearly deserve to be paid for the work that they do or as actual medicine people like almost sharp Mm -hmm. yeah cultures around the world so there is Mm -hmm. a very strong link between the artist and the shaman Mm -hmm. there is a very kind of difficult relationship that has developed Mm -hmm particularly 18th, 19th, 20th century, between art and commerce. Mm. And there's a very ingrained 20th century idea that the artist is somebody who shuns money. Yeah. And that in order to be a real artist, you've got to be struggling. Yes. You've got to be troubled. Yes. You've got to be poor. Yeah. You've got to not want money. Yeah. You know, all of these things. And when we think about these things, they are stereotypes. Mm. I want to just say something about stereotypes, right? We think of stereotypes as bad. Yeah. There are some stereotypes about being an artist that Mm. do actually serve us. Mm. And we can use those. Mm. And this is not something I'm just making up. This is something that's actually been studied. Mm. Read things like the Journal of Creative Behavior. There are actual papers on this. Mm. Positive stereotypes about artists are things Mm. like they're interesting, they're carefree, Mm -hmm. they're Mm -hmm. daring, they're popular, they're intelligent, they're cool, you know, all of these things. They have some sort of like... A magic link to a whole other world of imagination yeah. and and dreams and everything. Yeah. So I think it's really important to look at those stereotypes and ask ourselves, like, if we look at the positive stereotypes about artists, it doesn't take a lot to realize that those are valuable mm. things. Yeah. And as such, it's not a huge leap again to go, okay, if these are valuable traits that not everyone has then surely I deserve to be paid abundant amounts of money. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's it's so, especially in a world where certainly in the UK, I don't know if this is happening everywhere, but in schools and stuff like that, art is being, you know, like deprioritized in a lot of schools. Like this art, I, like God, I don't need to tell you this, but it matters so much. It matters so much. And when we've got the artists themselves and we've got, there's a phrase I use a lot in my work, which is not, it's not your fault. It's not your fault that you've received all of these messages and stereotypes and all of these things. But when we are the ones devaluing our work, when we're actually driving a lot of that, it is our responsibility to change that up. 
because totally no one's going to do it for us I'm hearing myself talk (laughs) I I say this to people all the time I'm like it's not your fault and it is now your responsibility yeah about it it's like it's it's one of those things like I often get I think about a lot with my a lot of my clients really like are very into social justice and all of that sort of stuff and I'll say to them like if you heard about somebody in a government job being paid what you're being paid you would go and strike for them you would be on strike for them and yet we are perpetuating our own prices we should be on strike for you we should be like protesting and being like come on but we're it's so different and it is different when you're setting it internally and I obviously this is what I do all day every day I get it but it's so incredibly important to unravel your shit like oh yeah it is a thousand percent and and I say this a lot to my clients you need to be cautious of believing everything that you think Mm, so your beliefs and your thoughts yeah I'm going to say this, but controversially, your emotions too yes. cannot always be trusted. Yes. That was funny enough. It's like we're reading each other's mind. My brain was going, the next thing I want to say is I think that there's such a lot of talk online, particularly in the online coaching space about feeling your feelings, mm. that people are diving into their feelings and they're drowning in them because mm. they don't know they were like trying to honor and and the reason I know this is because I get it like me too going from being somebody and I think a lot of us have gone from not feeling our feelings to feeling nothing but our feelings and trying to find the balance between the two and and especially I think for artists many of whom not all but many of whom will be sensitive people which is partly how they view the world again a stereotype that exists for a reason we can just be completely in them and they don't, I think it's Elizabeth Gilbert says in Big Magic, they don't get to drive. Those things exactly. don't get to drive. They get to sit in the back seat, but you're choosing the tunes and you're driving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what do you wish that artists truly understood about money? That there's loads of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. And, and there's loads of it for your amazing work like this is one of my I know I just asked you a question and now I'm ranting but just give me one second this is one of my things so I personally would really love it if more artists did put did did have a website you could go to and buy something not just dm me about the price mm-hmm. because I feel like it's such a like oh as somebody who's like oh god now I've got to have a conversation with someone and I just wanted to see like what's going on but there's this whole belief that will put people off I would yeah. argue as many people are being put off by having to dm you about it there's so many people I really hear that yeah I've recently started putting the price for my coaching offers just Mm -hmm. on my website at least as a ballpark so that people can see what it is yeah I don't want to waste anyone's time and I don't want anyone to come on a call with me and then be like oh holy moly that's way out of my comfort zone I want it to be transparent what I'm charging And I have absolutely no problem with that because there's a person out there for every price. Yes, absolutely. And people make plans. I've actually, there's one artist I can think of whose work I adore and I know how much it is because she does post her prices. And I was like, cool, I'll say I'm going to like one day I'm going to buy that. And it's thousands of pounds, but it's like that's what I'm going to aim for. Other people will have the money. Same with coaches. I've got a friend who really wants to work with a very well-established coach who costs a lot of money. And she's like, so I'm making a plan so I can afford to work with her. Like we, we 
allow people the ability to expand in what they believe is possible for them when we share our prices. That's part of what happens, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when it comes to coaching, and this is maybe not a popular thought, because there's so much out there about how, you know, it's unethical to have high ticket offers, and you're ripping people off and all of this, which, you know, I I try not to get too involved in, because Mm. I think that there are people doing incredible work everywhere. And there are people doing pretty average work everywhere. Yeah. But one of the things that I've realized when I've paid particularly coaches a high ticket Mm. amount of money to do some work with them, that the transformation begins before the work begins. And part of the transformation for me has been putting my money where my mouth is and putting that money down and saying, this is my investment Mm -hmm. in this process because it's Mm. always a process. There's no coach on earth who's just going to give me the answer and make my life better. It's a process. But the first part of the process of actually paying them and making that commitment instigates, for me anyway, the beginning of that transformation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So one more before we do get onto a real, which I teased everybody with at the beginning, is you, like what comes across in all of your content and the way you present yourself and everything is that you seem to be really good at owning who you are, that unapologetic aspect of things. Has that always come easily to you or is that something that's been a process for you? Oh, definitely a process. Definitely a process. So I think that if you ask my mum, she'd say that I was very confident as a child. Mm. And I think I probably lost that to a large degree in my teens and 20s. And I started to mask a lot of things and hide Mm -hmm. behind a lot of things. I think it was only in my mid-30s I really started trying to get back in touch with myself and realise who I am and actually realize what I'm available for and what I'm no longer available for yeah. in this yeah. life and, and create some boundaries and create some support for myself and understand what my vision is for my life. So mm. no, for a long time I was a I was a very lost kid, I think, mm. how mm. I would describe myself. How do you think like that was has was was part of that journey running your business? Has that helped you in terms um, of claiming yeah. that? You can't run away from yourself when you're running a business Mm-mm. because you'll be confronted daily yeah. with uncomfortable things mm. about you. Yeah, absolutely. God, would we sign up for it if we'd known? <laughs> Do you know what? I don't think I would have done, but I'm glad I didn't know because I did. Like, I think if you'd said to me, Ray, it's going to feel like this, I'd have been like, oh, absolutely not. Like, because it was already terrifying enough. But I'm glad I didn't know. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of uncomfortable things about me that I've needed to to face as as an artist and as an entrepreneur. And and one of the the biggest uncomfortable things is how uncomfortable I was with discomfort. I think I said this in the podcast before. I was listening to another podcast a while ago where they talked about people being comfortable with uncertainty. I didn't know that was possible till I heard that on the podcast. I was like, what, there are people, there are what? There are people who are like, okay, that's not just like a wrong emotion. I just thought uncertainty was like, not okay. (laughs) And I listened to it, I was like, wow, okay. (laughs) Good to know. So 
you posted a reel, which is why I reached out to you, because I thought it was such a different take. And Ali and I were just talking before we I sort of properly formally pressed record about the fact that this, what we're about to talk about, I think it's talked about behind closed doors in coaching sessions, but you don't see a lot of content on this. And what you said was, I was like, it's a belief, a theory that it's not always self-doubt holding people back. Instead, it's what you described as a kind of arrogance or impatience now. I'm glad we're doing this at the end of the episode, actually, because people are like lulled in. So I was like, if I start with this, everyone's going to be like, they're talking about me being arrogant because I haven't made the money I want to yet. My business isn't where it's at. But I wondered, could you speak a bit about what what you mean by that? Like, what do you see in yourself? Because and I, I will say me too, potentially, but mainly in your clients with this. Mm. The first thing I want to say about this, Ray, is when I am talking about what I, what many people would call like our shadow side or mm. like stuff, we could call it our, our, our shitty side, right? <laughs> it, it comes from personal experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm such a big believer that nothing is without a cost and, and we are not all shitting rainbows all the time, right? We, we all have amazing things about ourselves mm. and we've all got a side to us that we maybe don't like that much yeah. yeah and I think both are worth listening to yeah they are both teachers and they are both welcome at the table mm. so that the reason I'm saying that is when I identify something about myself that feels a little bit sticky a little bit mm. like, wrong yeah. my instinct is to want to push it away and not look at it yeah which is why in my teens and 20s I was drinking every night smoking loads of weed doing any drug I could get my hands on because Mm. I was trying to run away from myself Mm. and when I'm talking about things like arrogance things like impatience now Mm. I want to think of us as sitting at a table with those emotions almost like they were people and just lovingly inviting them to come sit down Mm. with us So it's like, let's invite all our demons, all our shadows, all our oddities to the table. Let's not banish them. So we're going to look at these things without judgment and without shame. Super important. Yeah. Shame's going to come up. That can come and sit at the table too. You know, like let's all pile in. I know for myself that there were many things that I achieved or tried to achieve quite young that I didn't really have a sense of proportion around Mm. and I just expected things to go my way Mm -hmm. so when I was 22 years old I was an animator and I went to Annecy International Film Festival and I was presented with a very prestigious prize mm. by Tim Burton on a stage in front of thousands of people. It's like the, the can of, amazing. of the animation. So Annecy, yeah. Annecy International Film, Film Festival for, for mm. animators is like can for animators. Mm. And in my head, I was just like, yeah, whatever. I should have got that, right? Yeah. And so this is something that, sat with me for a long time is that I would achieve things and I would be like yeah of course Mm. then when I came up against things that were genuinely hard for me I would have an inner tantrum that I wouldn't Mm. be winning right away yeah and I kind of traced this in my mind back to 
my teenage years, my childhood. I'm not like a big Freudian, like, oh, let's just sit with our whole childhood for ages. Mm. Because I don't think that's necessarily helpful. But I was able to identify that actually, for the longest time, rather than challenging myself to do things that were going to be hard, I put myself where I knew I would win. Yeah. I I knew I was good at art, so I picked art for GC. Yeah. I knew I was good at literature, so I picked literature. Mm-hmm. I knew I was good at French, so I picked that. You, know, you can see the pattern here. Yeah. Same with uni, same with jobs, same mm. with And then there's nothing wrong with playing to your strengths. But mm. what I realized when I began to run a business is there's going to be so much to it that I'm not naturally good at. Yes. So my default was avoidance. Mm. those things because I kind of held this sort of impatience and this arrogance that I should be really fucking successful at this already Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that was me like six months into business like why am I not fucking world famous yeah why isn't this working out for me why don't I have the followers and the money Mm. clients and the customers and it wasn't self-doubt right Mm. it was this impatience of like well, I'm the kind of person who gets shit to go their own way. So why isn't shit going my own way? Yeah. So that's my experience of it. Yeah. And I notice when I'm speaking with a lot of my clients, these are established luminary artists, sometimes even people who work with me and don't want anyone to know they work with me because they're well-known enough not to want that to be spread around, right? And there is a thing, definitely, where this creeps up on people. Mm. If you've been told enough times that you're brilliant, you're a genius, you're so great, la, la, la. When you hit a patch in the road that's hard for you, your brain can have a tantrum about that. Mm. And you can freeze. You can go into this kind of resistance of like, I'm not going to go down that path. I'm not even going to try. It's not self-doubt as Mm. such. It's this impatience that, well, I should already have the rewards. Mm. I should already have the money, the followers, the clients, the record deal. Yeah. Gallery. Yeah. And yeah. that's a very real thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And what I'm not saying, by the way, is that self-doubt doesn't exist. I'm not saying mm. that. No, I no, no. <laughs> I support people with self-doubt that's clear. all the time. Yeah. Well, but I am saying that sometimes we can scratch around for a really long time with coaches and mentors and all sorts of people looking for self-doubt or therapists, whether it's not self-doubt, there's no self-doubt in that particular Mm. area. It's something else. Yeah. And at the risk of like going on and ranting about it, I do actually think that the coaching and self-improvement industry doesn't very often highlight this Mm. so much money to be made looking for the block and the self-doubt yep and there's nothing wrong with making money out of helping people with self-doubt and blocks Mm -hmm. but the fact is it's it's not always that there are other obstacles yeah and sometimes it's impatience and arrogance and and a kind of discomfort with discomfort like a discomfort with like you know, having to do to learn a new skill in your business or try a different route and that just feeling like, well, hang on. Like what I notice a lot is in myself and in others as well. Like I've been doing this a long time now. It should be here. As if it comes from the time rather than what you've actually done. Like Yes, absolutely. And that, you know, there are many things that only time and experience can bring, right? Mm, so time yeah. time is is valid. Yeah. 
but also I think that that impatience is it's a kind of entitlement yeah I've been showing up and so I should have the thing yeah and I think that this comes from it's almost like the myth of dedication right Mm. so it's like if we're dedicated enough we'll get what we want Mm. And I think that it is more nuanced and more complex than that. So the way that I teach that kind of embodiment piece of embodying our values is it's not just about dedication. There has to be discipline there as well. I was so dedicated for such a long time to my business, my first business. Mm -hmm. So dedicated. I showed up all the time, but I had no no discipline at all. So the dedication piece was there. I wasn't loving it. So there was mm. no real devotion, like heartfelt devotion. Yeah. So when I'm teaching this embodiment piece, I teach it as 5D. It's like five dimensions of embodiment. And that is the discipline. It's yeah. the dedication. It's the devotion, which comes from the heart. Mm. It's the discernment to know, like, where have I done something genuinely good? And where did I just think I have? Yeah. And then it's the willingness to, I call it dance with discomfort. And those mm-hmm. are the five Ps. I love that. The discomfort piece, honestly, mm-hmm. the discomfort piece is the piece that I was so resistant to for so many years. But yeah. the discomfort piece is almost like the, the the rope that ties it all together. Yeah. Because without that willingness to be uncomfortable, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to really grasp any of the other absolutely absolutely and it and I think the discomfort piece for me certainly has been layered as well like I was like oh yeah I can be a bit uncomfortable with being visible for example and getting used to that or sending out more emails or and then it's like what about the discomfort of you know being like what's the word like a pupil of things like being willing to learn things even when you've been doing this for a long time like going back on things that you previously said you either wouldn't do or you didn't want to do or all of those things and 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 just it's humility a lot of it and which yes I'm so glad you said that that humility thing is so important do you want me to share where I stand on humility yeah sure go for it okay so I like to actually think of myself as an audacity coach yeah I really value audacity. Sometimes I think that we think that humility is the opposite of audacity and it's going Mm. to take away from our boldness and our audacity. But I just want to say that it's not. Mm. not. If you've got the audacity and you've got the humility, you need that discernment piece as well to tie it together. Audacity Mm. is the braveness and the boldness to do something but it's not the arrogance to say well I should already have the result yeah and that's where humility becomes so important so if you can balance audacity with humility Mm. in a kind of yin and yang Mm -hmm. then you can become like a really discerning open-hearted artist or entrepreneur I love that. It reminds me of this thing that Simon Sinek says, which is that we should be doing, he said, lots of people make money to do good. And he said, the problem with that is that we're willing to do whatever in order to to get the money when we're late going to do the good. And he talks about doing good, making money. So like you're doing good all the way, like you're not waiting for it. 
And what you're saying is because I think the other part of that kind of the arrogance piece that like leaks into it is sometimes like, well, they should have bought from me. They should understand this. They should be buying. Like there becomes this disdain, but the humility comes in when you're like, why aren't they buying from me? How could I make this more clear? How am I doing that? And people with that audacity, discernment and humility that you're describing to me, those are exactly the sort of people we want making more money because they'll do good making money. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you have to be curious. Mm, yeah. Okay. People are not buying from you. Yeah. It's not because they're assholes. Exactly. <laughs> but that happens, right? Like that's so that's an attitude. I haven't had that in this business, but in my first business, I totally was like, and I was working with pregnant women and I was like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> absolutely. Like, and I do hear it from clients. <laughs> yeah, it's not because they're assholes. It's not. Yeah, get curious, get curious about why they're not buying them. You know what? Tip, it's not rocket science. Ask them. Yeah, yeah, totally. Exactly. I would say I'd caveat that with ask them. They'll all say the price, but ask them to give them you a couple of reasons because everyone says price regardless. And it's not always the price. But if you say, give me three reasons, then you'll get the actual answers afterwards. The price is like, it might be an answer for some people, but not as many as you'll get. Thank you so much for this. I really, really enjoyed it. We've like right up to the time. So we need to wrap up. So I normally ask people, I think it's three quick fire questions right at the end. So the first question is, finish this sentence. Money is. Amazing. (laughs) That's an amazing answer. And then the second question is, can you recommend, is there a book, a podcast that you've read? Doesn't need to be business based that you've read recently that you would recommend to people? I re- I really really enjoy art podcasts. Mm. So I want to say I want to say Katie Hessel's art podcast. Is it History of Art Without Men? Yeah, I think that sounds good. I think it's History of Art Without Men. Nice. Mm. She certainly got a book out with that title, but Katie Hessel's episode specifically with the artist Marilyn Minter is awesome because they talk about the importance of creating something that hasn't been seen before and I love that that's awesome that sounds brilliant and then this is a completely different kind of question if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life what would it be is it one type of food this is always the the question (laughs) I mean I always cheat and choose like a whole country of food but really it should be one one type of food but you choose whatever you however you want to well if I was gonna choose a whole country it would definitely <laughs> be India because mm-hmm. there's yeah. a lot of variety there yeah gosh if I was only allowed one food out of that food for the rest of my life I think it would be something simple like a dal <laughs> I love a dal though, but I would have to have something. I think we could maybe it's a dish so that because you'd need some bread with the dal. I do anyway. I need some kind of bread with it. But yeah, dal is there's an amazing, I can never say the word, Ayurvedic, is that how you say it? Um, Spa near us. And they do the most beautiful dal ever. Like I could go for a spa day just to get the lunch (laughs) because it's absolutely incredible. Um, Dal is. It's a real thing. Can you let everybody know how they can find you? And we'll obviously put all of that in the show notes as well. 
Yeah, you can find me at Ali Mapletoft Artist. So it's a little underscore before the artist mm-hmm. on Instagram. You can find me at alimapletoft.com. Nice. And you, did you say you've got a podcast as well? I Let do. I have a new private podcast. Oh, I saw that on your link. Super excited about. And I'm glad you allow swearingness on your podcast <laughs> because it's called The Successful Artist's Guide to Not Giving a Fuck. Lovely. Sounds awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I'll see you next time. Thanks, Ray.